Welcome everyone to the CEO.Digital show. My name is Craig McCartney and I'll be your host that's going to guide you through an open exploration of technologies and trends straight from the C-suite. You'll hear insights will help you better deliver results for your company and its stakeholders. We'll be interviewing a range of C-suite executives, those that are creating technology to those that are implementing it to support their businesses. Find out more and stay up to date at ceo.digital. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Today's guest is John Arledge. John is a software and technology expert who's currently plying his trade as the VP of product management for Akamai Technologies. John has spent many years um, leading multiple teams in the tech industry. He is a frequent speaker at industry events all around customer experience management, security analytics, uh, and conversations around uh, board level. John is also very talented at conceiving of and pitching early and growth stage business product ideas to customers, partners, employees, and investors. And you can tell he's got that sort of experience because he's also um, led a number of successful startups um, and completed some uh, great exits as well at places like Open TV, TiVo, Danger, Owners Pass, to name a few. I'm very excited to speak to John today. Uh, we're going to deep dive into some technical elements, and um, I'm very excited to hear more of John's story. So let's get into it. John, welcome to the CEO.Digital show. It's great to have you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. And uh, what a great set of content you've created on your, your podcast website. It, it, it was really uh, a joy to listen to a, a lot of very interesting speakers and uh, very interesting topics. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, it's good to hear. We do try and make it as diverse and interesting as possible to try and cater for as many uh, different sort of uh, roles within a, a business. So I'm glad you've liked some of the episodes. But this yes. episode is about getting to know you uh, and a little bit about what you're doing at Akamai and a little bit about your story as well. So do you want to kick off by introducing yourself to the guests? Obviously, I did a little introduction for you, but it'll be great to hear from you. Tell us about your career to date, and then we can sort of explore your role at Akamai with it in a bit more detail. Sure, sure. So John Arledge, I'm the head of uh, carrier product management at Akamai. And uh, so that's a, a segment of the overall Akamai. So we'll get into that in a little while. But we have a very specific route to market, which is uh, marketing Akamai's products through the carriers to their subscribers. So that's kind of a, a unique go-to-market model. In terms of my career, I ended up at Akamai through an acquisition. Uh, my former company, uh, Nominum, which uh, is one of the leaders in DNS infrastructure and security technology, was acquired by Akamai about five years ago. Prior to that, uh, was at a startup of my own, which is actually in the sports industry. And then prior to that, a uh, number of consumer product companies, one called Danger, that made a one of the first packet-switched uh, mobile PDAs back in the day when the RIM BlackBerry was really the only other product on the market, and that was $800 or $900, and our product was uh, $200. So uh, your listeners might have remembered a product called the T-Mobile Sidekick. That was how it was uh, was marketed. 
And then prior to that, a uh, company that probably a lot of people, at least in the States and maybe the UK would know, uh, TiVo, mm-hmm. which uh, kind of uh, pioneered the digital video recorder market and personalized TV business. So so number of uh, consumer-focused companies, that's probably one of the themes, but definitely a lot of technology experience, probably 20 or 25 years mm-hmm. of that. And prior to that was in the automotive industry. Okay. So again, uh, it's a very touchable and feelable product that everyone in the world would relate to. And how did all that experience sort of lead you to uh, Akamai now? And, and how has it helped in your, your current career? Yeah, I think my passion for technology is really not the technology itself. It's more uh, the application of that technology to improving people's lives, whether that's you know TV without commercials or TV on your time or uh, being able to take the internet with you in the case of the, the T-Mobile sidekick or uh, protecting you from a lot of the, uh, you know, the internet's got a lot of bad that comes along with the good mm-hmm. and uh, protecting you from that. So really, the while I've been in technology for those 25 years, the main theme running through it is um, not so much uh, the esoteric uh, underlying complex technology of which there's a lot of it to deliver all those, those products. It's really boiling it down to what's the value that a family or a parent or a child or someone that wants to be entertained can derive from that technology. And so that's been my uh, area of focus is translating, you know, highly complex technology solutions into something that's understandable by your family or your mother or your children and make it applicable to them. Yeah. And um, in terms, so there's, you know, in your role, you have to have a a good head on your shoulders when it comes to innovation and creativity, Mm -hmm. I'm sure. But your career's also shown a, a strong, there's a strong leadership angle to the work mm-hmm. that you do as well. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about your ideal leader? Sure, sure. Well, when it comes to leadership, I think some of your listeners might recognize the types of technology founders that often inhabit the the uh, C-suite of various technology companies. And I've worked for a number of those who are extremely visionary, very visionary. You know, it's pie in the sky. Hey, here's everything we can do. And that can be somewhat frustrating because it's not grounded in what can actually be delivered. It's not grounded in a set of deliverables that an engineering team or a product team or a marketing team can actually market around. On the other hand, are leaders who, you know, are really uh, micromanagement driven, not so much visionary, but more here are the tasks we need to get done. You know, let's set a plan and deliver on each one of these tasks and sometimes lack the vision uh, and the excitement that motivates people, that that draw people around a a shared goal. So when it comes to what kind of leadership uh, style do I thrive under the most, it's someone who can strike that balance between the two. And I've had leaders at one extreme and leaders at the other extreme and leaders who do strike the balance between the two. And those are the ones that I tend to uh, try to emulate my own leadership style 
you know, setting goals early on, providing context for those goals. Why is it that these goals are important? You know, what customer problem are we trying to solve? What market opportunity are we going after? What are the politics perhaps within the company that uh, provide some guardrails for that? And then really kind of take my hands off and and let the team do what they're uh, able to do uh-huh. uh, providing guidance along the way providing encouragement along the way removing roadblocks when needed but really it comes down to you know paint the vision boil that down into some goals you know get the buy in from the team and then set them free and check in along the way and make sure that you know they're not encountering any issues or that they need need anything along the way and so that's really the style I've adopted. It's pretty hands-off. I think if uh, if you ask people on my team, they would say it's pretty hands-off after that goal-setting uh, phase at the beginning. But uh, that's the style that works best for me. Yeah. Interesting. That sounds like a good balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope, um, you know, I, 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 will, I learn when I do these podcasts, which is great because I get to meet leaders such as yourself and Maybe I'll incorporate some of those things into the way I run my business. (laughs) (laughs) It's great, Craig. Let's talk about Akamai. You mentioned in a previous conversation the term clean internet. Mm. Can you just elaborate on that? And is that something that um, is a goal of yours or of Akamai's in general? Yes, yes. Uh, So I liken that to, you know, uh, any of us at our house buying electricity from our electricity utility or water from our water utility. We don't expect to pay more or have to check a box to get clean water. We just want water. And of course, we want it clean. So that's what we expect from that service provider. And the same should apply to the internet. And it doesn't necessarily today. Uh, Today, the clean internet is not available to every single person in the world. It could be but it's not yet. And so, you know, I, as a parent expect that, you know, my internet is not going to be delivering inappropriate content to my young children. I expect that I'm not going to be unnecessarily fished or a victim of malware or ransomware. Same as a small business owner, perhaps large enterprises expect that they should pay for that security on top of their connectivity. But uh, families and, and small business owners don't necessarily, they should, they would expect to see that bundled in. It's just table stakes along with, mm. uh, with the broadband connectivity they're buying from their service provider. But how has that changed when so many people are working from home now, because you mm. are using your, your personal ISPs for your mm. professional connectivity? Is that, I mean, is that? It's so much more important now. Um, mm. uh, you know, it was important before, but with all of us spending so much more time in front of screens and in mobile situations, having a, a clean internet pipe wherever you may be accessing the internet is even more important. Uh, a lot of times, um, you know, small business owners often are using the same set of hardware uh, when they're working from home as they are from uh, when they're working from the office. And it's their personal device. It's not a corporate owned laptop with a, you know, a lot of IT security built into the operating system and, and the uh, VPN or zero trust access that they may be using to connect to corporate resources. It's just not the same for enterprises and small, for small enterprises and, and residential users. So those guys really do look to 
their ISP as a logical place to provide, you know, some base level of security. You know, if you're an, a small business owner, you know, a coffee shop or a small law firm, you may not have any other IT relationships. You don't have a big system integrator. You don't have a, uh, you know, relationship with a large consulting company or security company. So you're really on your own. And the one logical place to source that security information and solutions from is your service provider, your ISP that provides Mm. connectivity to your business. And you spoke about that. um, What is the technology that would enable enable that you mentioned that briefly is that something that you can touch on yeah absolutely i mean uh this is a not uh cocktail party conversation uh usually when my (laughs) wife uh when someone asks what you know what does your husband do and she describes uh my job and then she mentions the acronym dns uh everybody in the Uh room just you know starts yawning and walking away and looking (laughs) for another drink but so dns is is the fundamental technology that that i'm alluding to when i talk about turning on security at service provider level and suddenly having millions and millions of homes or businesses protected right away and dns is a fundamental service of the internet it's often it's mainly provided by isps so what is that? Yeah. That's the system that maps domain names, so common names that we're all easy that our brains are good at remembering things like facebook.com or yahoo.com or cnn.com to the IP addresses where those servers live that our browsers speak. So if if all of us had to keep track of the IP addresses, it would be a, you know, the internet would just be an impossible place to navigate. But thanks to DNS, we can type in Ford.com or we can type in Tesla.com and immediately find those IP addresses and that, that content thanks to the DNS. So that same DNS, which just operates so fundamentally, basically just a phone book for the internet, where is Tesla.com? It's at this IP address can also be used when we receive one of those frustrating phishing emails that says, this is Bank of America. There's something wrong with your account. Click here to enter your username and password so that you can update your password or log into your account and read a message from us. So often, if you were to actually look at the IP address, I mean, this is a very simple attack, but uh, look at the IP address of the uh, click here button, you'd see that it wasn't, in fact, bankofamerica.com, which is their actual domain. It was probably Banco of America or bankofamerica.cmo or some other, you know, uh, formulation of the actual domain name that the end user might not be aware of and might be tempted to click on. So DNS is just the perfect place to thwart that kind of attack. We can see that uh, a malformed or a a bad variant of bankofamerica.com is coming into the uh, DNS server. And then instead of allowing the user to go to that bad site and possibly lose their credentials, we can direct them to a page that instructs them that says, uh, hey, this page is malicious. Are you trying to reach bankofamerica.com? Please retype that into your browser or uh, please go back to the the page you came from uh, rather than entering your data here. So so this is just a very simple example, but but it yeah. explains how that control point within the ISP is so critical to solving, you know, 80 percent of uh, online threats 
It's not 100% for sure, but it's a lot better than 0%, which is what we have today. So this is really the value proposition that Akamai describes to ISPs when we talk about the service to all those uh, those brands that I told you about earlier. Yeah. And then DNS security, again, it's handled in by the ISP. I'm assuming that they all have really strong security protocols around DNS. They do. They do for sure. Um, you know, the DNS, because it's so ubiquitous and it's such a neat place and a logical place for, uh, for good things to happen. It's so easy to find Tesla.com. That also makes it a great place for bad guys to spend a lot of time. <laughs> it's every browser speaks DNS, every computer, every operating system speaks DNS, every ISP provides uh, DNS. So it is an attack surface that you know, bad operators do try to exploit. And and so we do our best to secure that both just in the design of the software by itself, as well as with added security services for the ISP. So now we're talking about protecting the ISP's infrastructure from attack, not the end users now. This is the ISPs themselves who can be subject to denial of service attacks or tunneling attacks or amplification attacks of lots of different kinds. So part of being in the business of providing DNS security is not only providing security to end users, but also securing the infrastructure itself for the ISPs so that that doesn't get compromised by by actors looking to attack at a different point in the network. Yeah, I mean, you you said quite a few different attack methods mm-hmm. from a, a cybersecurity perspective. What do they mean for the layman, like mm-hmm. such as myself? You know, do I need to know about amplification or tunneling? And what can I do to just be a bit more secure online or protect myself without you know having to dig into the weeds of all these um, cyber terms? Right for the for the layperson. I mean, this is it gets back to my earliest comment at the start of the podcast here, which is, you know, translating this extremely complex set of technology into something that the end user values is part of our job as, uh, as product managers. And so the thing that tends to uh, be front of mind for residential users is, are two things. One is inappropriate content. If you happen to be a family and want to make sure that uh, your family is not exposed to the bad sides of the internet, however you may define that. That's a number one category. And the second one that appeals to residential users is phishing. They're not so much worried about, about ransomware. Ransomware attacks usually are going after larger enterprises where the money is, uh, encrypting you know, large swaths of, of compute infrastructure within, uh, within an enterprise and then holding it for ransom. That's not so effective in a house. You might get a couple thousand bucks out of uh, you, Craig, or me, but but uh, not you know hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. So the two main things that resonate best with with families and lay users are phishing. They understand they don't want to get their uh, credentials stolen because that's a, such a hassle and represents a big risk. And then they also don't want to be exposed to inappropriate content. So when we talk to service providers, obviously we're describing uh, the very robust technology infrastructure to deliver this stuff, but we boil it down to just the couple key messages that would appeal or would uh, resonate with family uh, decision makers when they're thinking about, okay, do I buy from Verizon 
that doesn't offer this service? Or do I buy from AT&T that's going to protect me from phishing and inappropriate content? And that's really how, how we boil it down. So what, what else could you do? I mean, what I'm talking about here is really the most basic of internet security. So there's not much more that's more basic than this. There are more sophisticated <laughs> things, lots more sophisticated things you could do. But you know, below uh, just basic network security and clean internet is really just education. It's you know making sure that you know all the things we've heard over the last five or ten years. Don't click on unknown links. You know when you get that text message from FedEx saying, "Hey, there's a problem with your package. Click here to enter your username and password." Well, I wasn't expecting a package from FedEx. Just resist the urge to click on that. You're not expecting a package from FedEx. You know it's fake. So just don't click on it. <laughs> and same same with the email from Bank of America when you know you bank at Wells Fargo. Just don't click on that thing. So Yeah, it, it is tricky. I, I mean, I'm regularly updating my parents about a text and just saying, you know, it, it's not Amazon Prime calling you, asking you for money. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's very easy to get caught out, isn't it? I, it I've is. nearly been caught out a few times, even though I try and promote this to my parents. It's it's very, you can just catch you on a day where maybe you are expecting a package, maybe you are, it's urgent or, yep. do you know what I mean? So you can be in a different frame you of can. mind. That's um, for sure. All the time. <laughs> And that's yeah. why they're so effective, you know, and when you send yeah. this out to billions and billions of end users, it only takes a few to click to make good business out of it. Yeah. And that's what it is, isn't it? It's a it business. Is. It you, is. It's, it's like a football match or, you know, you're, you guys are there um, developing these product services, fighting the attackers. They're just there, again, on their computers, working out ways to get through your defenses and all it takes is one. Yeah. Um, no, you're exactly right. It's a it's a back and forth. And so, you know, our guys are always trying to, our data scientists are always trying to stay ahead of that and, you know, anticipate what the bad actors are, are planning. And, you know, that's one of the areas that we do spend a lot of time investing in. Um, you know, one of our, uh, another of our value propositions when we talk to service providers is that, you know, no one sees more internet traffic than Akamai. It comes back to that edge distribution, the hundreds of thousands of servers delivering content and security globally on a daily basis. I think we see 9 trillion DNS queries per day. I mean, that's just a gargantuan number. It's something like 30% of the world's DNS traffic rides on some form of Akamai infrastructure. And so, you know, that's a huge data set for us to be able to look for bad stuff from. And, you know, given our, our global distribution, you know, we can see an attack popping up in Japan, identify that with our mach machine learning algorithms, and add it to our security feeds so that our customers in Brazil are protected within minutes. And you know, mm. that's something that no other security company can offer. They, they don't have that visibility, um, that real-time ability to detect and protect so quickly. So, so, you know, we've got hundreds of data researchers that spend their time building these algorithms uh, so that, you know, we can process those trillions and trillions of queries into something that's, you know, very actionable by, by our software. Yeah. What, what are the other challenges that you face when trying to manage all of these tasks? I mean, that, that sounds like a big one, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. but from Akamai perspective, you obviously, you want DNS security to be more widely spread or mm -hmm. easier to adopt. Mm -hmm. um, and 
you mentioned all your data sciences, but is there anything else that that you could share um, that would just provide a bit of insight into some of those challenges? Yeah, I think one of the big hurdles to having clean internet available to every home and business in the world is just uh, attention and resources at the ISPs. I said ISPs are the, are the best way to get in front of all these people. You know, there's something like 300 fixed line ISPs in the world and thousand or so mobile ISPs in the world. So what better way, you know, there, that's uh, 1300 companies we have to go after. And so my goal is to, you know, get every one of those 1300 signed up, delivering clean internet to their end users, the, you know, billions and billions of users around the world. But, you know, some service providers have the IT resource availability to work on this project and others don't, you know, many ISPs have, you know, a skyscraper full of engineers themselves and could build this on their own if given enough time and priority. But a lot of times uh, they're working on their digital transformation, their move to 5G, their deployment of, you know, uh, network slicing, virtualization, monitoring, et cetera, et cetera. So when someone, uh, you know, on the broadband side says, hey, we need to offer uh, clean internet, uh, secure internet to our end users, they say, well, you know, get in line. I've got these eight other projects. So in comes Akamai and we can say, hey, you know, uh, we know you can do this, um, but we have a faster time to market. We can operate this in the cloud. We can, you know, manage it with just a very few minor uh, integration points. And you can be in the business of, uh, of offering clean internet and secure internet services to all of your subscribers in a matter of a couple months. And if the service providers had to do this on their own, it might take a couple of years to get through all of their priorities, plus the development and testing time. So th that's a hurdle. Um, it's a hurdle for service providers, and it's a hurdle for us as a security vendor to get the right priority, to convince the service provider that there is a faster route to market, that, that this provides differentiation and a ability to retain your customers longer, and even in some cases to charge more for their services uh, in segments where customers really are willing to pay for added security. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm just sure. wondering about now, looking ahead to the future, is there is there anything that's, that's not getting enough attention in the, the world of security at the moment mm. from your perspective? Well, I think one, yeah, one, one funny thing that I see happening in the market is um, service providers aren't the only ones talking about internet security. The hyperscalers and, and other uh, big cloud providers are, and even browser manufacturers are also in this space. And so they have an interesting perspective, which is we, the advertising-driven cloud companies, uh, care more about your privacy and your security than your ISP does. So we offer now encrypted DNS, which I mentioned DNS uh, a few minutes ago. DNS is uh, this method of, of providing security and filtering the internet for, for the benefit of end users. Mm -hmm. And so the hyperscalers and cloud providers are saying, hey, just send that traffic to us and we'll provide you that, that same security. The ironic part is 
what's their rationale for doing that? They're not charging for those services. The rationale, of course, is getting access to another stream of data about each of our about every subscriber's uh, internet usage. So while they, you know, Google and Facebook and uh, many other cloud providers have tons of data on subscribers today, their browsing behavior and their, you know, how much time they spend on various apps and what they buy and what ads they watch and click on and so forth. Um, DNS is, is just another vector. It's another source of really interesting aggregated data about a household and the devices that are in the household and what those devices are connecting to. You know, a lot of this stuff is really not related and not trackable by advertising methods like cookies and so, and so forth. So back to, you know, what are some interesting trends? I do see the cloud providers saying, hey, uh, you need to worry about your ISP and their use of your data. And so send all your data to us. <laughs> and the ISPs, you know, they lose, they lose track of that, the DNS data and the ability to enforce all that security. So, you know, by redirecting as a home user, redirecting your DNS traffic to uh, Google or Cloudflare or some other place, the ISP enforced security that we've been talking about for here 20 or 30 minutes is negated. So I feel like, um, you know, ISPs need to speak up. They need to explain that, hey, they're not in the business of tracking their users and using data for marketing purposes. That's exactly what the cloud providers do. What ISPs do is provide connectivity and security for a fee. They're not in the advertising business with a few exceptions. Yeah, there have been a few uh, mistakes here along the way, but for the most part, ISPs are not in the business of tracking end user data for the purposes of building an advertising business. So, you know, that's just kind of a interesting dynamic that's happening and uh, end users might not actually be aware of that, you know, uh, irony going on where the, uh, you know, cloud providers are saying, uh, trust us, you know, we know what to do with your data or we won't use your data. Uh, when in fact, that's how their entire business is, what underlies their entire business. Interesting. It's always good to look at it from these angles because, you know, I'd never have thought about that myself. Yeah, right. So let's talk about, well, let's go to the final section of this podcast. So this is where we get to know a bit more about John behind, you know, the, the product, the product experts mm -hmm. at Akamai. And you actually touched on one of my favorite questions earlier when you talked about your wife, because mm -hmm. you, you said how she describes you, mm -hmm. but in this quick fire round, the first question I'm going to ask you is how does your family describe what you do versus say your friends and then versus say your colleagues or perhaps um, the team that you manage? How do they describe your, your job or your role? Like, I think if, it, if I had to boil it down, uh, if, if they really thought about it, they would probably say, I'm an internet plumber. <laughs> and what that means is I'm dealing with the down and dirty, you know, low level protocols of the internet uh, that keep it safe, keep it flowing smoothly, keep it reliable. So, you know, maybe, maybe those two terms, uh, if they really thought about it, but really the bulk of my day is spent, you know, communicating the, the value proposition and the opportunity to ISPs, uh, you know, yeah. about, about how Akamai can deliver these services and security to their end users. 
internet plumbing. That's a, an interesting <laughs> way to describe it. Yeah, yeah. John, well, thank you so much for spending this time with me to talk about you know your role, your career, and all the the bits in between. I really appreciate your time, and I know the listeners will as well. And yeah, thank you. Likewise, yeah. Thank you for having me. A very interesting uh, set of questions, and I look forward to working with you again. That's great. Definitely. And just for our listeners, we are on most podcast platforms, as far as I believe. So please do like and subscribe, and uh, please be sure to visit our previous episodes and look out what we're doing next. John, thank you again. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks again.